Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast, Season Three, Episode Three. Is it Episode Three? I had to think about that there, but oh, yeah, is I think so. I don't even know if we're on Season Three. We might well be on Season Four, if I'm completely honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, welcome to <laughs> welcome to the Last Lap Podcast, uh, Bahrain GP Edition. Uh, the Bahrain GP, um, unlike uh, Jacques Villeneuve, um, actually well worth paying attention to. Damn right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a good Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, well, which... Yep. <laughs> Very <is> much so. <laughs> should be the signal of um, Satan going to work on ice skates and uh, flying swine in the sky. Um, but say, say what you like about F1, modern F1, but that's two out of two good races in my book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If we could keep this up all season, we might, um, uh, we might possibly actually make it a little bit more interesting. Um, so here we are, it's 2016, race two, and it's Bahrain. The Bahrain International Circuit was the first Grand Prix in the Middle East back in 2004, and has remained on the F1 calendar ever since, with the notable exception of 2011, due to civil unrest in the area. The lap record is 130.252, set by Michael Schumacher's Ferrari in the first Grand Prix here, and the top speed is around 199 miles an hour. The 3.3 mile 15 corner circuit was run in its full endurance configuration at 3.9 miles in 2010 to celebrate Formula 1's Diamond Jubilee. However, as this made an already fairly dull race even more dull, it was thankfully only a one-off and is now reduced back to the original configuration. And the circuit design, or more specifically the designer, is worth a sidebar as this is the first circuit on the 2016 calendar that is known colloquially as a Tilke track, a track designed by Herman Tilke and his company Tilke Engineering, who has been the F1 circuit designer of choice for some years now. In total, eight of the 21 circuits on the calendar are from scratch Tilka tracks, with several more having had more minor, minor modifications implemented. So why all this focus on Tilka? Well, it's because this is where the section will talk about highlights and significant moments from previous Grand Prix. However, Tilka tracks are notorious for being very similar in design, with plenty of runoff areas and as such don't necessarily lend themselves to great racing. There's actually a website and Facebook page called Stop Herman Tilka Ruining Motorsport. And indeed, the only standout moment I could think of was the battle between Hamilton and Rosberg in 2014, that one being eventually won by Lewis. Speaking of current drivers who've won here, Button has won once, Massa, Vettel and Hamilton have won twice, and only Alonso has the hat-trick. But as with the last Grand Prix, crunching the stats on the average, average finishing position in the last 10 years shows that the most consistent performing driver here is someone who's never actually won, its fan favourite, Kimi Raikkonen. So, will Raikkonen's team Ferrari be all out to make amends for Australia? Can Rosberg carry forward the winning momentum? And did the 2016 Bahrain Grand Prix provide more evidence of a Tilka track ruining motorsport? Let's find out with a race review from Andrew and Sean. The uh, latest night race uh, on the calendar, is it really an, it's, it's a twilight race, isn't it? It's really? like, yeah, it's like, I don't know, tea time or something. Absolutely no idea what time in Bahrain it went off at it went off at four o'clock in the afternoon here got no idea what time that is in Bahrain that must be about like nine or something at night in Bahrain maybe I'm not, I'm not no sure because like all of the other some of like, 
Is it one of those ones that starts in the sort of twilight and then goes to full? I'm sure it's something weird like that, that it's not like a full starts at, you know, ridiculous o'clock like in Singapore. Um, hence why we get it on at like four o'clock in the afternoon. It's bizarre. I'd, pr- I'd prefer it on, I'd prefer it was a day race if I'm honest, but uh, yeah, it was it was a good race, so that's all that matters, I guess, at the end of the day. But see, hanging about on Sunday there, waiting for four o'clock to come, I was like, God damn it, just give me some F1 now. <laughs> like like two, two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm thinking, why is it? Usually, usually, you know, you, you've got it ingrained in your head that F1 starts at sort of 1pm, uh, generally, uh, outside of the, the silly races at 6 o'clock in the morning. So to sit around till 4 o'clock, I was like, come on, I was getting impatient. Yeah, this this kind of puts a block on you actually doing anything, really, doesn't it? Because by the time you've had lunch, you're like, yeah. well, what do I do now for three hours? Because <laughs> I'll be damned if I'm not catching the start of the race. Yeah. Exactly, but it was a good one, and it was a good start. <laughs> that was the best bit of the race. Oh, uh, yeah, we, it's been a little while since we've had uh, a, a massive turn one um, sort of incident-packed race. Uh, they, they, they've usually been a bit more cautious about going into turn one these days and not uh, not steaming in. But several people decided to do this. Time. <laughs> Nobody told Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I guess, however, we should rewind a day back to qualifying. You don't want to, don't want to talk about qualifying, do I don't, you? I don't really want to talk about qualifying. <laughs> we should, I suppose we have to. <laughs> we should mention that uh, we were unfortunately saddled still with the um, elimination Royal Rumble style qualifying. <laughs> um, and boy, was it... It, the it same. was worse was it, than exactly Australia, same, actually, wasn't it? Was, yeah. um, in the you know, we knew exactly what was coming this time and nothing changed, wasn't it? That, that was the thing I think everybody kind of secretly maybe hoped in the back of the head that somehow the teams would have come up with some variant strategy that would have made elimination qualifying work. And as it turned out, no, they, what they did in Australia was pretty much right, bar everybody messing up in Q1. So um, Hamilton on, on pole, but by the slimmest of margins and... I don't know about you. Did you get the feeling now that Nico isn't taking those, you know, those losses of of pole position quite as hard as he did last season? Last season, he was definitely mentally. He seems. It seems the the three victories last year at the end of the season, even though Lewis had already got the title in the bag, it just did wonders for Nico's confidence. I think, and he definitely just seems a bit sharper this year mentally, whereas last year. He looked like he was always, you know, one one incident or one defeat away from from a complete mental breakdown. This year, he just seems a bit more, bit more there, which is it's brilliant as a fan of Nico Rosberg to see. Because last season, it was it become tough to watch sometimes with it, it consistently getting getting beaten by Lewis, and it's, it's it's not nice to see someone lose their lose their mental like control. As a as a sports fan, so yeah, he's definitely more more mentally sound this year than he was last year. That's for sure. Yeah, he just seems to be. You know, last year he was avoiding any kind of contact with Hamilton at all. You know, at any points, so and now he seems that whatever's going on, he's you know he's happy to be around him and just much more chilled and relaxed. I think, and he's yeah. Up- more comfortable in his own ability where last year I think 
when Lewis was giving them the beatings, he began to doubt himself, I think. I think it was probably the fact that, you know, he lost the title before fairly closely. And I suspect he really, really wanted to get right in on the hunt on the next year and sort of prove everybody wrong about what had gone on. And then he just didn't. And it took him such a long time to get back to a place where he was, you know, getting better results. Um, like I said, those three wins at the back end of last season seemed to yeah. have done. I, I let him go away to the winter feeling good about himself, whereas the season before, he'd gone away into the winter having lost the title on the last day. And not only lost the title on the last day, lost it. Do you remember the circumstances where his car mm. broke down and he refused to retire the car and he wanted to drag it home about three laps down or something? It just, you know, his pride was hurt, basically, at the end of the day, and it took him a while to get over it. But those three wins last season... And then coming up to Australia and winning in Australia clearly have just completely reinvigorated his self-belief. There's nothing worse than watching a sportsman, a top sportsman who has no self-belief. It's pain, it can be painful to watch. I'm a Leeds and, United fan, so I know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, like it's, it wasn't nice to see at times, but he's back. He's like I say, he's definitely back, much more focused to the point where he thinks that even if Lewis does beat pole position to him, then he can, you know, so what? Like it's as long as he puts it on second, then. It's game on. He feels he can beat Lewis in the race, I think, now, whereas last season, there was times in the middle of last season where you knew if Lewis got, got pole position, Nico didn't have didn't have it in him mm. to, to challenge him. I think Nico believes he has that now. He's been helped with Lewis having some bad luck this season, as I'm sure we'll go into. But, yeah, it, it's definitely good to see his confidence back, for sure. Um. I guess two things out of qualifying, uh, minor stories. Um, Kevin Magnussen, um, unlucky, but, um, you know, without, you know, real complaint, getting, um, starting from the pits for missing the Weybridge. Um, it's one you, of those rules, isn't it? Slam dunk, pretty much. Yeah, it's, you know, the understanding that, you know, he thought that only one person could ever be called into the Weybridge at one time, so he assumes that a red light is not for him, for somebody else. It's an understandable mistake, but once you've done it, there's, you know, it's like the, the the old drink driving rule, isn't it? If you refuse to give a breath sample, you you're you know, assumed you guilty. get you're assumed that you and not only were you assumed um, to be guilty, you were assumed that you were at the worst level. It's not even like you get the minimum punishment; you get the maximum punishment because otherwise, everybody would you know everybody just, who was really yeah. really drunk would just refuse the breathalyzer test and get away with the easiest the easiest punishment. So. Um, a bit of a shame because um, he seemed to be going quite well in in, in quali um, uh, and dropped back. And Lewis Hamilton getting a reprimand for reversing in the pit lane, um, which um, you know we're not necessarily always the the kindest people to Lewis Hamilton on this podcast. We'll freely admit that. But um, the the vitriol <laughs> online of people who were saying he should have got some massive penalty for. Um, that, that was in free practice, yeah. Uh, no, this was in uh, after qualifying when he was. Was it after qualifying? Yeah, when he was coming in to um, pull in his car, wherever he had to stop, he I think either overshot or didn't quite understand where he needed to go, um, and in an effort to get back around, the marshals were sort of waving in the air, kind of aimlessly. Um, so he put it into reverse for a couple of seconds um, just to get back, and then they wheeled him in. Now the rule is. Um, you cannot reverse in the pit lane, and that's a you know a, a standard rule, um, mm-hmm. and it's obviously to stop people you know, <laughs> well reversing in the pit lane because it's <laughs> yeah. massively unsafe. Um, but obviously this was you know the pit lane was half closed, um, 
there wasn't through traffic coming through all the bits and pieces. So we ended up with a reprimand. But there seemed to be a massive, you know, like I say, uh, 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 we all, you know, we all have our feelings about certain aspects of of Lewis Hamilton, probably more outside of the sport than in it. But um, yeah, I, I, I would. I think even I would have found it massively egregious for him to have received some kind of grid penalty um, when realistically, you know, it, it was about, it was like being told off for doing something illegal in a, in a car park, really, you know, you're not really on the road and it's not really the time when those rules are, are you know, are being applied. <laughs> no, I so. generally agree. Like, you know, me, I'm not Lewis Hamilton's biggest fan, but don't, it was a nothing incident by the sounds of things. Yeah. Eh? So, I mean, he he must have reversed for all of about two foot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. let's pra- let, yeah, pragmatism, not idealism here. Like there was a nothing incident. Like let's let's yeah, treat yeah. it as that. Indeed. Um, so uh, let's talk about that first corner incident, really, with um, Valtteri Bottas. Um, steaming in. <laughs> well, steaming he did, into the he first did steam into the first <laughs> corner. Um, I felt that the you know the door had been open to him. Lewis seemed to for some reason, think about ducking to the outside um, as if he Nick, thought he, he Nico's might... already be... gone by this point, right? Well, now. yeah. He, he's, he's, he's away. He's, he's, got, he's got the better start than Lewis already, hasn't he? Mm. So he's cleaned through in the first corner. I just Lewis... want to know why Lewis was going left. He went left to then come back in on the, on the corner, um, having been over a lot more. Um, and I think that's the only reason why Valtteri, you know, was still... Gave him half a, the tiniest of squeaks, didn't he? And and that was enough for Balteri to steam it up the inside. Um, I don't know if this is. I'm sure I've heard somebody say this somewhere on the line, and I'll need somebody to correct me if I'm wrong. If there's any, you know, F1 um, law, you know, uh, gurus out there, I thought turn one incidents were not punished. Did they not say the melee that happens at turn one? We don't, you know. That was my understanding. Because I'm sure I've seen an... incidents that are pretty similar to that, that go on all the time in the midfield. And nobody yeah. gets, you know, yeah. people get punted out the race on the first corner and nobody gets any kind of punishment for it. Um, that was my understanding too. I wonder if it's an, an unwritten rule that's kind of just... Yeah. That is applied in general. And on this occasion, they've decided that it was a serious enough incident to to warrant not following that unwritten rule. But I, as far as I was aware, it was the general consensus was first corner incidents are not punished. Because there's definitely been worse than that. Mm. Definitely that has gone unpunished. Like, well, we're getting dangerously close to conspiracy theory uh, because it was Lewis well, Hamilton. Yeah. He's been punished kind of, kind of levels that I'm reluctant to go into go down. But, <laughs> but yeah, no... I, if it wasn't a first corner incident, it's a slam dunk penalty for Valtteri Bottas. For yeah, me. probably. Probably. He's in, he's in the wrong. But the only saving grace would you could argue is that it is first corner penalty. Now, we could probably do with somebody clearing up whether whether that's going to... Like what happens in China, for example, if something similar happens between, I don't know, Magnussen and Sainz or something like that. Are we going to start seeing penalties applied all the time at the first corner now when we're so used to not? Or was it because it was the big names that were involved, you know? Mm. It's it's yeah. very... It's a, such a grey area. And like you say, I get the feeling it probably is 
an unwritten rule that they just go, you know, if we penalised everybody for everything that happened in the first corner, you know, yeah. half the field would be in for a drive-through penalty by the third lap. Uh, and that, that doesn't make any sense either. Um, mm-hmm. So it just... Uh, It'd be I, nice for them to say, mm. you know, in general we don't, but this one was so severe, or just give a little bit of clarity, you know, as to what... Because um, I completely agree that Valtteri was was in the wrong and made a made a hash of the first corner. And if it wasn't, he, he wrecked Lewis's race. He cost Lewis a chance of victory in this race. So from that point of view, then yes, it's a, it's a penalty for Valtteri Bottas. But at the same time, are we now going to see penalties applied often? Because you very, very rarely see a penalty applied at the first corner. Mm. Oh, I, I, get, I guess actually something we... Probably before the race we should have mentioned. Not Sebastian. Poor Sebastian. <laughs> um, exploding Ferrari engine. Very um, disappointing. Very upset because Raikkonen had pretty decent pace by the looks of things. Mm. And I would say over the course of a race distance, Vettel's worth a couple of tenths of a lap more than Kimi Raikkonen in that Ferrari. So it would have been interesting to see if Vettel could have, you know, pushed Rosberg a little bit closer than Kimi could have. Yeah, you wonder if they'd have split the strategies in in the cars as well. And let's say just kind of tied their hands. Well, throughout the whole race, they weren't. You wouldn't want to take a risk on Kimi's strategy and risk losing out on second place that he had in the bag. So, it, 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 yeah, it didn't. It limited what Ferrari could do, having just the one car out there, which was a shame. It, it meant meant fairly early on they settled for second, really. I think rather than trying to push Rosberg. Hmm. Probably didn't have the ultimate pace anyway. But. No, I, I think Nico was winning that race pretty much, you know, regardless. But it would have been interesting to see to have seen what might have happened if Lewis had two Ferraris in between. Mm-hmm. That, you true. Know. that too. Um, although I guess the I guess the damage on his car might well have put paid to that anyway, given everything. That, else. Um, I mean, Reckon and finished ten seconds off the off Rosberg over the course of a lap, uh, over the course of a race distance. Vettel's a, you know, he's a good few seconds. For me, better than Kimi Raikkonen over a race distance. So, who knows? Evs and buts. Just a bit concerning that the Ferrari's lost one of its engines in a big way so early in the season. Not, not, not ideal given how, how limited we are on on engine things. No, no, he's getting a new engine for China. It's been confirmed. So, um, that one appears to have gone in some major fashion so not not ideal like um, we also lost Julian Palmer uh, who had to put into the pits and then never got started yeah, again never never got going at all eh? so we basically what was that two down right away off yep, the 20 off cars the from the from lap one um it's a shame we didn't have Pastor Maldonado on the grid so that he could have pulled into the wrong grid spot again. <laughs> I so in, fact, it, in fact, it wasn't that he pulled into the wrong grid, it wasn't he stopped one behind <laughs> the one he was supposed to be in. <laughs> Uh, I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> it's at times yeah. like this, don't you? Um, so yeah, we get Rosberg cleaned through in the first corner. Valtteri plunges into the side of Lewis. I thought Lewis might have been out of the race for about ten seconds. It looked, it looked such a hefty it contact. It was a big, big one, wasn't it? Uh, did Valtteri lose a wing, or did Valtteri was he okay? I can't remember. Um, I think most of the comp- the, the 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 problem was, was a lot of it was was wheel to. Wheel to car, I yeah, think. yeah. So, so, so Valtteri was okay, yeah. And then I don't know, Lewis. Where did he go down to seventh or something like that? Uh, I think so. Yes. Um, and that's two weeks in a row. He's had to start in pole position and fight his way back through 
several cars just to get back in the podium hunt. So two weekends in a row, damage limitation for Lewis. It's not a good way to start the season. Uh, I think Lewis probably mentally um, can handle that. But it's it doesn't take much, I think, you know, if if it, if China, something similar happens, do you know what I mean? Um, and he he's compromised in the race. You, you wonder what, at what point you start to get so disheartened about what's going on. <laughs> you feel that you've got a case of the Felipe Massas. I was just on. about to say that he's got the Felipe Massa, but Vettel had the blow up this week in the Ferrari, which is strange. Normally it's yeah. Kimi, that, Kimi that gets those kind of trouble. <laughs> but yeah, Lewis said after the race that he was pretty chilled about you know, everything that's happened and that he's, he's X amount of points behind Nico, but there's a long way and he's not even thinking about that and stuff like that, which is saying all the right things. But yeah, I mean, if Rosberg wins in China and Lewis, even if Lewis is only second, you know, the gap's still a long way to go, but the gap creeps up, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you've got to expect that during the, during the course of a season, they'll probably get, you know, one DNF each, won't they, for, for something, because... It's very rare that everybody goes through a season and doesn't have one retirement of one sort or another, or at least some kind of mechanical thing that you would assume so. Either puts them very, very low down in the points or out the points. Um, Definitely would assume so. Uh, somebody who knows that feeling would be Jensen Button in the McLaren, who managed all of three laps before what appears to be some kind of total ERS uh, failure. Um, basically robbed him of all the power in his car and he pulled over um which was a shame because he'd it looked you know he'd gotten himself caught you know had a he'd had a good start um was getting himself up and uh, you know as it turned out the mclaren seemed to have um pretty pretty decent pace um around bahrain um it's a shame that we didn't get to see button complete the race just so we could see how van dorm did relative to button you know mm. compare the compare the two and two two drivers in equal machinery just to you know put a a little bit of more of a label on exactly how van dorm did you know yeah uh if we jump you know jump down a little bit and take a look at uh, at what van dorm did you know he didn't Looks have good on paper he didn't have an easy race do you know what i mean he the mclaren isn't fast enough to get out and pull gaps in front of cars um so wherever he was coming out, he was coming out in and around cars that um, he had to overtake and race uh, to get where he was going. Do you know what I mean? There was um, quite a large amount of time where the, the car was, you know, 13th, 12th, you know, uh, and not, you know, eating up the cars in front to get back to where they were going. So he's I had think... to fight it. Yeah, he's had to fight for everything that he got. I was impressed. I was really impressed. Yeah, and and he was very clean, and uh, that I think was the you know you you look at some of the rookies when they come in and how you know they're sliding the car all over the place and banging barge boards and 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 things like that, and he never did anything like that. All of his moves were nice and clean and and precise, uh, done at you know just the right time. Um, didn't seem to be chewing up his tires or or anything like that. Um, and I, I think, well, in, in essence, I think he got the McLaren to where it probably should have been at this moment in time, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that ninth, tenth place just behind all of the big teams and, um, you know, maybe one or two of the sort of midfield teams. Probably fair. Um, fair assessment of his race. I, w- I say I was impressed, but equally I wasn't surprised. 
You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I was impressed, but I, I just thought you he knew was that going you had to be that good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this kid might be the real deal, you know. And I, I was, I was like, okay, that was very good. But I was, I was like, you know, let's see. I want to see more now, you know. Like, I know. Impressed, but not surprised. Is my, my assessment. It's a shame that he's not in a car permanently this season because, judge on that, he's ready. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, they have a Fernando Alonso and a Jensen Button at the team, you know. He needs a... He could so easily have, have this season at, a, you know, a Force India or a Haas or something like that. It would be ideal for him. But, you know, this time will come. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that has rather clarified in people's minds that, you know, he isn't that far away from a, from a call-up at all. Um you know, going in at a moment, you know, literally flying in the day before qualifying from Japan, getting all of like six hours sleep probably, um, and then jumping it in and um, eventually out qualifying Jensen, you know, shows a level of maturity that, um, I mean, he's not, he's not young, young. He's what, 24, I think. Which is a nice age. Actually, yeah. It's, prob- it's probably just the point where you're, you're getting really into your prime. Um, not everybody needs to be Sebastian Vettel and rocking up and winning Grand Prix at 19 years old, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, most people wouldn't, you know. It's always a, always kind of been the thing. It's you know, you you graduate into Formula One, shouldn't you? You should be, you know, you should be out there learning learning the craft before being thrown in there. And um, it, it makes you wonder, like, long term for people like Max Verstappen, who um, you know haven't had the ability to be around F1 for any sustained period before getting into the car can you can you learn all of that craft at the, the at the sharp end do you know what I mean is it uh, you know undeniable talent and all the other bits and pieces but you know can you become the the well-rounded individual um when you get thrown in at the top uh, in certainly in a lot of sports doesn't it you see the you know these talented players come in um, shine for a season or so, um, and then get swallowed up because the expectation is is that they will, you know, just simply go on improving and getting better and better. And you know, they came in, gave their best, and then there was, you know, there was nothing to enable them to take themselves onto the next level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. They they fizzle out quickly. It's, a, it's definitely an art to blooding in young talent in sport, no doubt about it. Uh, you can't you can't put too much pressure on them at such a young age. Van Dorn looks looks like he's they've done it well. He's he's had his season in GP two. He'll have his season as the as the, the first reserve at McLaren. Obviously, with Alonso being injured, he's been given a chance to actually get in the car. Yeah. Uh, it all points to them doing it the right way, which is good. So back to this race. Um, yeah, so, so Nico 10 seconds from Kimi, who basically mirrored each other's strategy. Um, it would have been nice, I think, to have seen Kimi try something more aggressive, but I, you can completely understand why they didn't. And went. That's what I'm saying about Ferrari. With just having the one car, they obviously just wanted to make sure they secured second place, which is disappointing uh, that, that the loss of Vettel led to that but I think they'll be quite happy it's probably Kimmy's best result in god knows how long mm-hmm. so yeah I think he'll be pretty satisfied uh, Lewis 30 seconds then um, behind uh, is that 30 seconds behind Nico or 30 seconds behind Kimmy I can't 
He's 30 seconds behind Nico and about yeah, 20 behind Kimi. By all accounts... Best he could have hoped for, really. Didn't, right after. didn't have the pace after the incident and saved the engine, I think, in the last 15 laps or whatever. I, I think I think they... they well, didn't they say afterwards in the press conference that they they left him out longer on his other stint, which cost him time at that point in the hope that you know, if there was some kind of safety car or some yeah. kind of incident that meant that they could come in whilst everybody else had to stay out, he'd make up so much more time that he couldn't make up on track. Um, and it just didn't work out like that, which is, you know, fair enough. And, you know, you've got to, um, you've got to admire Mercedes going with that because they could have quite easily just kept on the strategy and said, you know, we gave him the optimum strategy and he couldn't do anything with it. And it's not our fault. Um, but you know, but they gambled on something, and you know, Lewis last last season was complaining that you know the team wasn't giving him extra strategy in bits and pieces. And well, there you go. That's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes an e- extra strategy or different strategy is a gamble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They still had the pace to comfortably come third, so you know it wasn't it wasn't that big a gamble. I think they always knew that at worst they would be third if they they rolled the dice, and they might have been able to nick second. I think they were helped by the fact that fourth, fifth, and sixth were, um, and probably actually to some extent seventh as well, were caught in a fairly titanic battle, uh, going back and forth with pit stops and overtakes. Yep. And it was good. It was interesting to watch. Um, ultimately, uh, won out by Danny Rick in the Red Bull, um, who looked like he might possibly have been able to get a bit closer to the front, but ultimately, uh, I think in the end. Um, you know the the tires played their point in that, and that he had to um, uh, he had to play against uh, the surprising pace um, <laughs> of the Haas. I love in, it. I'm in so the happy. Hands of Roman Grosjean. <laughs> I'm so happy about the Haas's pace because we did say it at Australia. He basically got a free pit stop. He didn't even do a pit stop, did they? No. <laughs> they changed the tyres under the red flag conditions. It was actually interesting because the commentary team said during Bahrain that that was their first pit stop in Formula One. Yes. And it was halfway through the second race. Like, have they managed that? <laughs> um, no, I'm so pleased that they actually have genuine pace. It goes back to everything we've said for the last several years about new teams coming in and customer cars and being able to link up with teams and all of that kind of thing. It just goes to show, and Brundle said the exact same thing in commentary, was that he'd much, much rather watch a car that has been helped out to quite a large extent by a big team than trundle around the back five seconds off the pace for three years. And that's exactly how I feel. And I'm so pleased that the Haas has got genuine, legitimate midfield pace to compete for points weekly. Uh, Because it just justifies everything I've always said about the way new teams are brought into the sport. (laughs) Well, uh, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? What's all new teams should should always have been given access to um, the building blocks of a decent car, and then be told, "Well, now you get on and do it. Now you get on and build your own car." Once you've, you know, we've given you the the Lego box set. It's now up to you to go and find out all the you know the extra pieces you want to stick on it to make it do what you want to do. And I think that's that's fair enough. And whether you say that that's a mandated thing by you know F one comes up with a standard design they say yep everybody all new teams get last year's ferrari or get last <laughs> year's you know red bull or whatever it's going to be uh, and that's where you start from you know you don't get any of the front wing don't get any of the rear wing uh, but you get the basic chassis and then off you go um and we get teams who 
have the ability to to compete. And I know that that annoys teams like Sauber and Williams who have had to you know build their cars up. But you know, Sauber essentially, you know, when they were owned by BMW and then bought it back, bought back a you know when they they. BMW dropped out. The, the car wasn't that bad. It's it's no, actually, it's, it's actually it's their own fault that they've, since, they've yeah, come like... back since then. You know, and um, as Williams have shown, it's possible for them to build a, a, a decent car when they get it right. It's just that they haven't been getting it right. And, you know, no. um, I don't think you can have sour grapes that because you've been in the sport longer, you didn't get a leg up. But you've been in the sport longer, you should be on a better footing by now anyway. Um, Williams are multiple championship win inside <laughs> like they they shouldn't have any grounds to complain if they're not building a challenge in formula one car it's, be, it's on them and know? i'm <laughs> i am 90 percent sure that the initial williams when william frank williams started running his own f1 team was somebody else's car you know that they ran races with until you know they did well enough to fund their own bin so you know what's the you know, I bet they started off with some kind of, you know, Lotus or BRM chassis or something along those lines back in the day, uh, and you know, then stuck their own engine in it and did their own tweaks to it as they used to do. What's why is that realistically so different than Haas buying, you know, bits of chassis and and suspension and all of those things to to get going? It's not really. Just no. it, it just it costs a lot more now than it did before. <laughs> so pleased for Grosjean as well. Oh yeah, uh, it's becoming a weekly thing for me how much I love Roman Grosjean. But <laughs> delighted, delighted that he's got pace because obviously he's jumped out of the Renault and everybody thought that was going to be a mad move. And looks as if he's in a quicker car this year. Like that's not a knock at Renault. They've had their own demons that oh, I'm yes. sure they'll, I'm sure they'll, um, they're working on and will, will ultimately get over. But yeah, just delighted that Grosjean has made the job it's a little bit like when Lewis went from McLaren to Mercedes and everybody went oh is that the right move it doesn't look like it's the right move and it turned out to be a wonderful move uh, yeah. uh, Grosjean's done slightly similar on a smaller scale so just pleased that I mean two points finishes in a row for Grosjean who would have thought that you know three months ago in the first two races of the season I wouldn't have I didn't. I thought the Haas would score points this year but I didn't think they would score regular points I didn't think they would do it right away which they've proven and, me wrong on so. and probably not as high up do you know what I mean? Yeah, I thought they might nick a ninth, an eighth, maybe. But he's, he's that's two solid top six finishes on pace as well. Yeah. So, um, crack uh, on. Yeah, ahead of in sixth place, uh, Max Verstappen in the Toro Rosso. Another um, good week for Max. Yes. Um, you know, avoided the uh, battle with his teammate since Carlos Sainz got a puncture on the first lap and then uh, retired, uh, I think, some 30 laps into the race. Um It'd have been interesting to have seen, I think, where signs would have ended up in in relation to Max. I think I think that's something that I'm keeping an eye out on this season. Actually, is to see what is the comparative pace car to car in the Toro Rossos, um, because I think I think last season we were slightly robbed of that with um, signs having quite so many uh, retirement issues or car issues compared to Max, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I think it would be nice to see this year to see more of how those two drivers deal with each other on the track, because I don't think I don't think Max is some you know order of merit above signs talent wise. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's much more interesting to see those two in the 
in, in the same car racing one another and seeing how that all pans out almost more than anybody else really seventh Danny Fiat, he had a fun race, did he not? I seem to recall him battling wheel to wheel with a couple of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He he was one of the again one of the casualties. I think in qualifying, I think he qualified far, quite far down. So I'd... he was, yeah, he was, he was, he was well down. In fact, yeah, he was in a, about fifteenth or something. I think. So I think think something like that. So uh, yeah, he had a lot more work to do than Danny Rick. So I, I, I'm, you know, the difference in placing between them. Um, probably belies that fact so I think in, in, in a lot of ways he probably had a very good race and just did not end up with the the placing to to show that he had I think he had to work a lot harder overtake a lot more cars to end up where he is whereas seventh place isn't the worst result in the world either you know he's finished ahead of both of the Williamses uh, both the Force Indias sure he's finished behind Grosjean and Verstappen who you could probably argue he, sh- he might have a car that's capable of finishing ahead of those two but Toros was quick and the Haas is the, the enigma at the moment. So, yeah, given where he qualified, I think that's a good result for Kvyat, yeah. Uh, eighth, ninth for the Williams. Now, obviously, um, Bottas had a drive-through penalty. Um, and I can't remember where Massa qualified. I don't, was he a bit behind Valtteri at the start? I can't remember. Um, but eighth, ninth for the Williams, it's just... It's just not quite happening for them, is it? I'd I'd really like to pinpoint where it's gone wrong, and I don't I don't really understand where it is. It's just car evolution, I guess. Um, that car maybe is just as fast as it was two years ago. The problem is, is that everybody else has managed to take it on, you know, that much farther. Um, there's still talk about Bottas going somewhere else. Um, and where would that leave you as a team? Do you know what I mean? If you, you've got Felipe Massa, who you know, in the best way of the world, is a you know, is a very talented driver, vastly experienced, but is he, you know, is he the kind of guy that's going to help push the team on? It doesn't really feel like it at this point. Um, no, no, I, I agree, and I'm, I'm a huge Felipe fan, always have been, but yeah. It feels very much like we're approaching a, a major crossroads for the Williams team. Are we going forward here, kicking on from the things that they've achieved in the last two seasons, or are they going backwards? And at the moment, it looks like they're going backwards. <coughs> oh. Bless you. Um, uh, like, where are they? Where are they going to replace Bottas from if he goes? If they get rid of Kimi at Ferrari next season. And, and Bottas is the one that they choose to replace him. Who who's stepping know. into that Williams seat? Who wants to go to? And you know, I'm sure people will. But it's where are you going to find that extra talent? That you know, they had Bottas, but I don't know who else they had around there. You know, they had Valen as their reserve driver, who's obviously, or uh, was possibly was part of the team, wasn't it? Uh, you know, as part of whatever deal they had with Mercedes. But that that's gone now because he's at. At Manor, maybe he would step up, step up to Williams from Manor. I don't know, um, and that kind of worries me for the team. When you're sitting there and you're, you're looking at it and going, um, "How attractive is a Williams seat?" It's attractive as a drive-in Formula One, but it's say no more attractive than a Force India probably at the moment, is it? Or a, um, or a Renault. I, say, I think if you're in a Force India and the Williams comes along, you take it as a step. I think that's a step up still. As much as I like the Force India guys, you know, Williams are 
a historic team, world championships, a bigger side. They also would probably have more potential to grow, I think, still as a team than, than Force India. So if, if you're Hulkenberg and Williams come calling, for example, then I think that's still You'd go back. a step up. Yeah. Hulkenberg continues to go around the three same teams that he's only <laughs> ever been at in rotation. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's still, a, at this stage, still a step up for a Hulkenberg or Perez to go into the Williams. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, but I don't know. It's an interesting one. I think Bottas needs a good season here or he's going to miss out on any big drives next season if Roman Grosjean keeps going the way he's going, you know? I mean, Grosjean quite clearly has his eye on the second Ferrari seat. I yeah, think, so I, I think so, that was evident early on in his move to Haas and stuff. That, yeah. So you could argue that it's between them two. And right now... Well, there's, and only, Grosjean, one, and there's Grosjean, only one winner. And Grosjean has that experience as well. Do you know what I mean? He's he's raced in um, in Formula One for longer in you know in in the Lotus the you know the 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 better Lotuses you know at at the front in a uh, in a race winning car uh, you know really Valtteri's only had one season of that and he didn't mm-hmm. win any races. So I mean I know that was against Mercedes and maybe that's a bit harsh, but you know. It didn't happen that way, did it? So, I think you're right. Here's a here's a chance of uh, Hulkenberging it and looking like missing his opportunity. Yeah, he he should be in a car, but then there's somebody else will just pop up and say, "Oh no, I actually I'm I'm better for that drive," and they get taken, and he he, he might just yep. slip out of people's minds as the the next big thing. I think I agree. Uh, we covered Van Dorn in tenth already. Um, Kevin Magnussen in eleventh, which is pretty heroic um, in the Renault from the pit lane. Um, quite why they're so terrible in qualifying, but seem to have decent race pace. I'd, somebody would have to explain that to me um, because they don't look like getting anywhere in in quali. Uh, but in the race, they're fairly solidly able to, you know, race a lot of other cars. Um, whether I don't know, maybe they're kinder on their tyres, so they just you know they're in a bit better position for longer, or um, maybe it's just that because of where they are, they end up on such opposing strategies that they're when they end up against these faster cars, you know, they're on they're at a better point in the race for them than the other cars. I don't know, um, but still, that's still you know pretty impressive because that means he's gotten past uh, two Force Indias, both Manners and uh, both Salbers. Um, which... For a car that looked pretty damn slow in qualifying, yeah, it's a good enough result for sure. Uh, Mark Ericsson in the uh, <laughs> in the Sauber seemed to be having a very good race. The first he, decent race I've seen from him for quite a long time. He seemed to be on the screen all the time. Like he was always battling with somebody. There was, like there was a, every time I seemed to look up at the television, he was. He, it was Ericsson in a, in a duel with someone wheel to wheel. It was that sort of 10th to 14th place um, was where it was happening on the track like all the time. That's where all the best battles were. It was actually outside of the, you know, 10th outside of top 10 was where all the good racing was going on. Because yep. I, I suppose the cars are just a little bit more equal at that point. There's less... Um, there's less of a performance gap between each one. So each car has a reasonable chance, um, you know, depending on fuel loads and tyres and stuff like that, about about attacking the other ones. So, 
Um, yeah, Ericsson got up, I think, as far as, you know, sort of west off of Van Dorn was and then um, was slowly reeled in by uh, the Renault and the, and the McLaren, which was probably kind of a, a inevitable. Um, but interesting to see a good race from him. It, it, Naz has been the sort of poster child, really, for Sauber um, since he joined. Um, and I guess Ericsson needs to have a few more of these races where he's on track and being noticed and doing good things, whether it's overtaking or defending, to really continually justify his seat. Because as much as money he's, he may or may not bring in, ultimately, if he's you know three places off of his teammate con- consistently um, or not doing the same you know quality of racing, there has to be only a certain amount of time that you can retain somebody regardless. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, money. Surely the money will dry up eventually when he doesn't, when he isn't winning or doing anything of note. Like, surely, surely only so long, a backer will continue to back a dead horse. You know. Thirteenth uh, place, um, and really, really encouraging. So happy for this was Pascal Verlin in the manor. Um, very, very good. Looked quick. Looked legit. Not quick, but you know what I mean. Like for a manor, looked on pace. Yeah, like, wouldn't have, didn't look out of place fighting Renaults and Force Indias and Cybers, etc. Which is what we've been waiting for the Manor boys for, I don't know, six years or something. So. It, it's it's rather sad that it's kind of, you know, they've stuck the Mercedes in and that's made so much of the more of the difference because the rest of the car is just not as fully developed as the other teams. We just know that. Um, but that Merck engine compared to well and it's a bit bit that is unfair of them because they last year they were stuck with the previous season's ferrari with like little to no technical help on it um so i'm again again i'm just so pleased that now we appear to have something of a closer field at, at some point um in the races um even if the manners don't seem to be able to sort of replicate that in qualifying. Um, they didn't do too badly this, did they? Did they go out first two this week? I can't remember. Um, I think Harry Antu did. Um, uh, Verlin, no, Verlin knocked out somebody, didn't yeah. he? With he this, um, with this new format, like I'm like, what happened? I can't remember because it's that mad. Yeah. But I think Verlin was like slightly. He was like maybe he like did. No, he knocked out. He knocked out. I uh, was. I think it was the Force India of Perez, wasn't it? Um, because and he managed to get a better time in. They thought they had enough time, because they thought uh, Verlin was going out, so they had enough time to get out, do their outlap, and do a quicker lap. But because Verlin popped himself ahead of Perez, Perez stopped having you know uh, ninety seconds plus to having less than ninety seconds, and so was out. And that's what everybody was supposed to be expecting from that elimination qualifying, but it's only happened once. Uh, and I think that in itself, you know, told you why that was so awful. Um, yep. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Naza in the second Sauber and 14th, they saw nothing of him all race. So I assume, you know, either he either picked up damage or was just so far off the pace on a different strategy, whatever it was. It didn't work for him. Done. Uh, Force India's 15th and 16th um, both had damage I believe um, at various different points uh, and or punctures I think something along those lines even even so 
that's an awful result for Force it's India. It's really not good, isn't it? <laughs> the only person that finished behind them is Harry Hanty. <laughs> You'd have to hope that that's just a, you know, one of those weekends. You'd it, have to assume so. It's it's interesting, isn't it, that um, during winter testing, both the Williams and the Force India looked like they were well on pace, and both race weekends so far they've been fairly disappointing. The um, yeah, it's the, it's the age-old thing with Force India. They just don't have the money to develop the car. And I know we're only into the second race, but we're talking about is the car going to be developed throughout the season? It's like Sauber. Yeah, they're in the same boat as Sauber. They just they can't. That car will probably stay like that. Uh, they they'll have a bit more in a, in their in their tank than Sauber. Sauber's car that turns up in Australia literally will be the one that is in Japan and wherever else at the back end of the season. Fortunately, they will manage to develop their car a bit, but you, like McLaren and Renault, you just assume have, and definitely Williams, have a bit more to offer in that sense than, than, than Force India, who are known to be financially not in the best position. But even still, I'd expect them a bit closer than that. I'd have to chalk it down as one of those weekends bit of bad luck, bit of damage here and there, didn't work out strategy-wise, whatever. Just uh, You have to see improvement next week, and if there isn't, then distress signals, I think. Uh, so, well, so that was um, the... Um, that was the Grand Prix overall. Uh, what... Do you have an idea of what's making the racing so good this season? Um, is it is it just the tyres, you know, that there's more choices or definitely think that that's made a big part and I said it in our first our first show of the year, I thought that was gonna make a difference and you weren't as convinced as I was and I I'm certainly very pleased with the way that that's worked out. Um just because that adds that slight layer of unpredictability. If someone has a bad start or a spin or something, it just gives them that little bit extra option to go, do you know what, screw it, let's shove on the the stupid tyres and see what happens, you know? Like, it gives that... It's a bit like going, oh, okay, so that we'll just fuel the car up for 55 laps when, when fueling was allowed and just let's see how far we can go kind of thing. It, it adds that little bit of extra layer for me, which is one of the things I love about F1, or I did love about F1 when I first got into it with the, when refueling was was around, so it, it, it's returned It's returned that element to it for me, which is what I love. Away from that, uh, the bus... Do you think there's just been a general concertinering up of performance yeah, between all the cars? What, that's kind of what I was getting at. Three years now since we've changed the regulations regarding engines and other bits and pieces. It has taken three years, but I think now teams are kind of just about almost kind of evening out in performance maybe Ferrari are a little bit closer to Mercedes the midfield's all kind of bunched up even like like we say the manners are are there the Haas has turned up on day one is competitive I think if you actually looked into the statistics I don't know what they are off the top of my head but I'd guess that the overall sort of average lap time from start like the gaps between the top teams and the bottom teams has probably sh- shrunk I would think. I'm just guessing. Could be completely wrong about that. 
But it just seems like everybody's a little bit closer. Yeah, there doesn't there doesn't seem to be the massive gaps. The interesting thing for me is like Lewis has dropped down the field, and I know he's had damage and whatnot. Both well, he dropped down the field both in Australia and in in Bahrain. I know he had damage in Bahrain, but he didn't seem to breeze past the cars he was behind. He got past them, but he actually had to you know do it with some effort. Whereas 2014, 2015, he'd probably have just breezed past without even blinking an eyelid, you know? Yeah, I know I know what you mean about that, actually. Yeah, it's... Um, this looks a little bit like more when he difficult got, for them. When he got stuck behind Verstappen. Yeah, perfect example. And that was in Australia, where he didn't have any obvious damage. He just had a slow start. And he just... It got by him. And you got by him in the way that you'd expect a world champion and the best car to get past uh, an inexperienced driver in a slightly worse car. But it took him three or four laps. It took him a little bit of, you know, thinking rather than just being able to be on autopilot. I'm in the Mercedes, come out the last corner and just breeze past up the straight and away you go kind of thing. So this does look like it's... And that's the way it should be because, like you say, we've had three years of this, these regulations now. So you would have to assume that, uh, that if we kept these regulations for the rest of time, eventually everything would peak, every team would get to the peak performance and it would all sort of start to level off. You would have, uh, you know, uh, assumably. There's only so much more that the Mercedes <laughs> can get out of their car development-wise. Well, it's what we say, isn't it, There, It's the... Um, you know, there, there is a, a, a limit on um, progress Ultim- you can yeah. make. That there Correct. The, ultimately, there is all the simple things you can do to make it better, which you know Mercedes seemed to get from day one, and everybody else has had to catch up on. Um, but you know your your return of performance will always get less and less. Yeah, um, the, the better and better you make the car. So yeah. uh, you know eventually everybody's got to find their own little tricks and tips to, to you know to get it. Uh, you know it's the if you look at the McLarens, isn't it? Essentially, they've made up probably like a second and a half in one season. Well, they're not going to do that every single season, but. All they've got to do is keep on making that kind of percentage gain on it, and then they'll get they'll get back to uh, the, the front yeah. of the grid. It's it's just a case of how long it takes to do it, really, isn't it? That's the... I think that's kind of what I'm getting at, yeah. And like, so we are seeing it a little bit closer now, which is great. That's <laughs> what we've been wanting for two years. Now they're going to change all the regulations again next season, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <sighs> Ah, we'll see what happens. No, I, I, I'm happy with the way it's gone, the first two races of the season. Uh, I'd like to have seen Vettel compete in Bahrain to see what he could do. That would have been interesting for me because I definitely think he'd be closer than Kimi to Rosberg. Not like Kimi, but I think Vettel's just a bit more value these days. Uh, I don't think there's any shame in saying that he's a slightly better driver than Kimi Raikkonen is worth a little bit faster over a race distance than Kimi Raikkonen. So next next three races are China, Russia and Barcelona. Okay. Do you think that those three tracks, two of which we'd probably suggest were not the greatest racetracks in the world? Do you that's think in, that's interesting. What two do you think? Uh <laughs> Uh, Russia and uh, Barcelona. 
cool. That's fine. I agree with that. I just wondered whether you were going to include China in that. I don't actually. I don't mind China. I think China's good. No, be. I think it's okay. It's it's yeah. th- it's thrown up a few interesting races in the past. So yeah, and you sometimes that. get rain there. I think sometimes. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I was, I thought you were going. To, I, I I thought you were meant. I thought you meant Barca and uh, and Russia. But just part of me was like, is he talking about China? <laughs> um, no. That, yeah, and I agree with that. Those two are. Barca's a great test track, we all know that, but it doesn't present the most interesting races. Russia, what, are we th- into re- year three of Russia now, is it? Yeah, this will be the third race. First race was a complete write-off because... Two hard tyres. Yeah, tyres were a nightmare. Last year, what was... I can't remember what the race was like last year. Was it a good one? It, it was an average one. It wasn't as painful oh. as the first one, but it wasn't... Nothing special. No. Um, what? What? The, the question really is, do you think will get three more good races or do you think that china might be okay because the track is okay and as we edge towards a few of the tracks that we are less confident about um Mm. we'll see it tail back into something more like last season absolutely no basis for this claim whatsoever (laughs) our our favorite kind of claim sean (laughs) got a hunch that russia might be good don't know why just feel like Got a feeling Russia might be good this year. Three different tyres rather than the two. Mm, true. It's unexposed as an F1 track in the sense that, you know, it's had a couple of poor to average races, but, you know, it's only had two runs. I'm prepared to give it another chance, you know. <laughs> whereas um, whereas Catalu- Ca- Catalonia, I kind of know what's going to happen at Catalonia. Yeah, like, that's if you've got some decent downforce, you're going to be quick around there, really, at the end of the day. Like... You know, Russia give an oppor- another opportunity to. And China, I don't see why China can't be half decent. I like the track. Nice big long straight at the back. Overtaking opportunity at the end of it. Quite like the first sector in there, always have. Yeah. China should be okay. Going to give Russia another chance. Catalonia is what it is. Uh, an interesting question I would ask on those three tracks is, do you think Mercedes will win all three of them? Um... If I was going to pick a track where they might not, um, it would probably be Barcelona. Um, okay, interesting. I think I, I agree. I, I think agree. Shanghai should very definitely be their race. It's, yep. it's definitely their kind of track. The street circuit last season, they were unbelievable on. Literally unbelievable. Um, so, I dare say... They should go in feeling confident about that, but Barcelona, Barcelona, I think is not the greatest track for the way that the Mercedes is set up. The Ferraris should feel more confident, I think, there, uh, and feel a little less exposed in the areas that they're weaker to um, Mercedes on. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, will Mercedes get these starts under control? Is is well, there... that's it. That's a big question, isn't it? They've, that's two in a row, now. Well, Rosberg was okay uh, in this in Bahrain. So, is it a Lewis Hamilton problem or is it a Mercedes problem? That's the question. I think they were suggesting that that possibly there is uh, it's more uh, software than hardware. Um, Interesting. So that should oh you'd have thought that should be easier to fix. You'd have thought, wouldn't you? Um, but I guess we'll. We'll have to wait and see on that and see whether it actually ends up being um, being so. 
I think that rounds up quite nicely the Bahrain GP. So why don't we take a look at what's going on in the Formula One news? The Last Lap Podcast News. And just as we have gotten used to getting our 2015 qualifying rules back, Bernie Eccleston comes out in the press and says, you know what, maybe we'll have a race on Saturday instead. <sighs> do you know what? If there's one thing I do not want, it's like a sprint GP2 style Saturday race. I absolutely, I'm so dead against that idea. It just isn't Formula One for me. It makes it look low rent, Mickey Mouse, junior formula. As far as I'm concerned, I'm really quite anti that idea. It's it's what you do when you have um, homogenized cars yep. and you have to do something that shakes everything up. Yep. You can't, you it's know. It's not Formula One. It's not the pinnacle of motorsport. Formula One is a two-hour Grand Prix on a Sunday. If you can't get your car to last two hours or 50 laps or however long, then you don't deserve to be there kind of thing. It's just not, not for me. No. Um... Whilst we're going back to quali, actually, I suppose we should we should talk about how we managed to get back to the 2015 qualifying. <laughs> All of the teams unanimously agreeing on something. Remarkable, eh? <laughs> uh, in itself. <laughs> should probably give you an idea how terrible the qualif- elimination qualifying was. Um, if anything, there was evidence for something. It's that, you know, like, Jesus. I'd, I'd like to give the teams a bit more credit for that, but it, it's the fact that after the first race... Williams and Force India um, didn't, you know, they they turned around and said, oh, maybe we can tweak it rather than just going back to 2015 the way that everybody else had said it. So, I, you know, I'm loathe to say well done F1 teams because we um, ideally should have been back already, you know. That's true, yeah. <laughs> uh, the fact that it went on in Bahrain... <laughs> Well, it only it's went on kind of it, mystifying. It only went on Bahrain because um, Red Bull, McLaren, and I can't remember who else all said, "Well, we're not going to vote for tweaked, tweaked rules because that's not the point." You know, we want to go back to 2015 rules, and if this is the only option that you're going to present to us, then we'll say no. Um, and even then, the FIA came back and said, "Okay, what about aggregate qualifying?" <sighs> like, I mean, talk about you, you said like. Nobody was bringing that up. Nobody was saying, you know what we what F1 really needs is aggregate qualifying. We, what we really need to say is not that the fastest lap counts. Um, we want to do, you know, the opposite, that the slowest lap also <laughs> interferes in stuff. And if you're doing aggregate qualifying, surely, you know, the cars are only going to do two laps then. How is that putting more blooming cars yeah. on the grid? They were only doing one or two laps anyway, so... The amount of time and energy and resources that has been spent on debating this issue that was such a non-issue is remarkable. Only in Formula One would you get that. It's just unbelievable. Well, Craig Craig Scarborough was saying on um, on Pit Stop Radio uh, the other night that um, overtaking in Formula One uh, isn't something that's even on the agenda at all of these kind of meetings. They're not talking about overtaking in Formula One. They're still talking about things like changing qualifying and bits and pieces. And I just, it mystifies me. It mystifies me that Jean Todd can say things like, oh yeah, I read social media. um, Can you imagine John Todd sitting at his 
sitting on his smartphone reading reading tweets. I don't think no. So. He isn't. <laughs> he, he gets he gets given a, a selection of tweets and stuff that are probably carefully edited by mm-hmm. the minions at the FIA, so that he thinks he's doing an, an excellent job. Um, but his whole his whole attitude of this saying is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come up with the idea and the fans will like it. And it's just like, no, you horrible little toad of a man. We won't like it just because you think you're so smart and so much cleverer than all of all the F1 fans who have, you know, no idea about going on. Um, and Bernie's just the same these days. Um, he seems even less uh, engaged with what's being said about the spot and doing it. And you'd have thought oh, all the people who should who should care what the image of Formula One is about. You'd have thought Bernie Eccleston would have been, um, you know, top of that list. But apparently not. Apparently, you know, Bernie thinks <laughs> that when he's asked a question about whether we should go back to this or doing tweet rules, he can say to, you know, the people interviewing. Um, he can say, you know, oh, well, you tweet the rules then. It's just like, no, you're the person in charge. Don't be so obtuse about it all. Get on and sort it out and don't be such a div. Um the only thing that Bernie said in this other statement about stuff is saying um, that he's urging caution about introducing anything. Uh, admitted we've made a big enough muck up to do that for this year, so we must not do that again. So <laughs> if he realises what an unmitigated disaster this whole thing has been. Unbelievable, eh? <laughs> well, what, what now? What are we doing? What are we doing in China? Uh, back, we, back to 2015. Back That's, to 2015. Done. <laughs> uh, as far as I'm aware, it needs signing off by a couple of uh, governing bodies, but that should be, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be getting in the way of stopping that, um, stopping that happening. Um, yeah, that, that's going to happen. It's just. We're, we're waiting for the official, official, do you know what I mean, thing. But the team said that that was it. And then Todd and Bernie have both said that's what we're going to do. So everybody else just will just rubber stamp it, I'm sure, at this point. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Moving on. <laughs> uh, moving on to um, a bit of a sad story. Um, apparently, uh, Salva's financial woes continue to plague them. Um where they're set to yet again fail to pay their staff on time. Other other rumours suggest that Ferrari could be poised to buy them out and turn them into a B team, badged as Alfa Romeo. Right. Okay. Not inherently against that. Yeah, I was just going to say because you've, <laughs> you know, you have a little bit of a soft spot for Sauber more so than I do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the, quite, quite like the idea of the Alfa Romeo brand being in Formula <laughs> 1. It's a bit like the Aston Martin brand from last season when that that rumour appeared. Um, I think something has to be done about Sauber. Otherwise, they're just going to fundamentally f- fold within the next couple of years or something. It's just uh, second race of the season, reportedly in arrears, failing to pay their bills, car isn't going to get any development. They've already got two pay drivers in this in their seats. You know, their entire seat, their entire car is the livery is completely designed around one of the pay drivers' sponsor. Well, what more can they do other than 
be taken over or something or have a have serious outside investment. It does appear to be that that's the only thing that can happen, really, isn't it? It it, it requires somebody to um, to come in and push that team um, further than they can possibly do themselves with their own internal investment. Uh, you know, and it, and it is a shame, but I would rather have a Ferrari B team uh, and the name Alfa Romeo back on the grid than watch the sad declining death of the Sauber team. I agree. Um, it's just... I'm, yeah. I think Manisha might be a little bit of a head case. <laughs> I just wonder. <laughs> um, I'm not sure about her running the team like well that stuff that happened last year with Van der Gaard and everything and I uh, hmm, not sure. I think Peter Sauber's probably looking on crying somewhere. <laughs> uh, yes. Um and I wonder if if Frank Williams is looking over his, his shoulder at his daughter just going mm, <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I think Claire's all right. I like Claire. Oh, I, I think Williams are in a, are in a better position anyway. So, um, Much so. I think so too. What else is happening then? Uh, there was an interesting story that um, got some people's ire up again because uh, there's nothing people like doing more than pointing out that the FIA stands for Ferrari International Assistance. True, um, true. <laughs> Ferrari have been cleared of any wrongdoing by the FAA regarding coded pit board messages uh, during the Australian Grand Prix. Um, Now, obviously, we know that there's been the big clampdown on on radio messages and about what they can put across. Mm -hmm. But obviously, another way of getting information into the car is uh, a pit board message. Um, And there are plenty of things you can put on a pit board to advise a driver to do something. Um, Yeah, true. True. And in this case... um, Ferrari put on um, a message saying 3.2 LFS6P1 um, when the reg flag went on. Um, okay. okay. And what are they saying that that apparently meant? It's basically that the message is related to a way the um, ECU deals with a stoppage. So uh, they have to so it was basically about putting your car in a specific mode for the red flag um and under normal racing conditions that would have contravened um the information rules but um because it was a red flag um obviously they're not gaining any performance i think from it i think that's basically what it's come down to is that instead of it being seemed as a you know He's not gaining places by doing whatever he's doing. Everybody's got to come in the pitch and then come out again. So it's not, you know. Um, it, it's not uh, giving them a racing advantage at that point because the race is effectively nulled. They haven't mm-hmm. been, you know, they've not been punished for it. And some, some people have felt that that's, you know, well, well, if you've broken the rules, then you deserve to get punished in bits and pieces. Again, I'm... I'm a bit on the case of like, well, if the FIA say that it, you know, in this case, it, it's it's not what the rules are about and for, then I guess we've got to go go with that. Um, F1 has never been a sport that punishes people for breaking the spirit of the law, only the letter. 
And so on that basis, you've got to say, you know, if that's if that's the way the rules work, then that's the way the rules work. Um, yeah, I, I, it's Ferrari. You know, they're 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 not. They've never wanted to be uh, scared of you know pushing the boundaries of what is what is uh, a letter of the law and moral of the law, so to speak. So. Uh, I'm with you. If the FI say it's fine, it's fine. Sean uh, refuses to slam Ferrari shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I suppose that probably that probably wasn't the greatest question to put to you, uh, possibly. Um, did they get, did the FI say it was fine? No, it's yep. fine. <laughs> um, apparently, this whole pitbull message thing is being investigated um, across all the teams, uh, and it's a you know a big thing that they're making sure of watching the difference between what messages they put out, whether they use different colours on the times and stuff to try and, you know, put a coded message out to a driver about whether they need to push or not push or do this or do that. So um, uh, it certainly isn't a Ferrari-based issue um, or, or something. It was just that that was the one specific me- message that was clearly about a, a, a setting. Um, and you'd have thought that given the, cha- the fact that they weren't hiding it, uh, in reality, then um, uh, the chances are the Ferrari understood that that was the way that the rule was supposed to work. Jacques Villeneuve. Uh, <laughs> too much, unfortunately. Um, has come out and said that uh, drivers should just shut up. Uh, the way the drivers have been complaining is terrible for Formula One. It's not their problem. They should just shut up. It's not their problem how good or bad the show is on TV. They should just get on with their job. Take a group of 20 drivers, take maybe two of them, and then the rest should just shut up. So why would you want to give them power? Is basically what he said. I would like Jack Villeneuve to shut up. It's not the first time he said something... Uh, Stupid? Ri- ridiculous. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's not his first... <laughs> His first, uh, <laughs> he's not his first silly. Um, ironically, though, after that, he did actually say something that was fairly sensible. Um, they should stop changing the rules full stop. Um, in all the noble sports like tennis and football, the rules haven't changed in 100 years, even when it's boring and people still respect it. Um, I can't, can't really argue with that. Like, <laughs> uh, I'm not saying don't change the rules full stop for 150 years, but less rule changes for the sake of rule changes. It's the arbitrariness, set. isn't it? It's yeah. it's that you can't pinpoint at any point where these rules have made a positive impact on the sport necessarily. Do you know what I mean? The big changes in engine format every couple of years, um, random directives on tyre compounds, um Again, Craig Scarborough was talking about this the other night and I, I, it, it seems actually when somebody else says it and you go, that's completely true actually, isn't it? F1 is incredibly directionless at the moment. There doesn't seem to be anybody who has an idea where F1 should be going. Mm-hmm. Everybody seems to be thinking its own little thoughts and we're not seeing f1 go in you know in one direction and 
you could kind of you could kind of argue that the way that technology works these days the FIA's job is half the time banning things that have have come out because you know somebody's thought of something that's fundamentally made the cars too fast or too good at cornering all the bits and pieces and they've got to stay on top of all of those bits and pieces rather than be dictating the way the sport should be going um but ultimately all of the changes seem to happen season to season without uh any you know um any continuous thought about what that's going to knock on for the next season like we got these 2017 regulations which were all supposed to be out about aero and making the cars five seconds quicker and all the bits and pieces um and i don't know really where that fits in with um reducing the size of the engines down to a 1.6 turbo and all of those bits and pieces which don't seem to be about making the cars faster in general or or any of the other bits and pieces that you know have been changed in the last few years where is where is f1 going what is the what is the ultimate goal that we should be doing with this this motorsport and uh those in charge don't seem to know <laughs> put us in charge well I, you know i'm down for that sean <laughs> i'm quite, quite happy to sit there and say because um, you're right and everything that you say in the sense that, that it, it doesn't seem to to know what it wants from itself i wonder if that's a byproduct of the likes of i mean who's running motorsport right now sean todd and bernie eccleston two dinosaurs of the game that have been around since the the dawn of time well and and two it, it needs fresh young blood at the top of the sport I think, mm. and new ideas and some and an act and a focus on where it's going and they're two forces that i think um are too kind of in bed with one another if you if you see what i mean it's um there's two it seems like it's too easy for both of those parties to make sure that they get what they want mm -hmm. um and for it to be the way that they want it to be without any real regard for anything else and i don't really know how we've ended up in that state because it always used to be that you know um it was almost impossible to get anything done in formula one uh, and so you had general general stability um and now it seems like that anybody can come up with an idea on a whim uh, and it'll be implemented within two weeks. I, I don't kind of understand how, how that's changed in Formula One. <laughs> um, ironic in that it, it, what that seems to have done is put all of the teams on more of the same page, really. Um, when obviously getting the teams to agree on anything was notoriously like herding cats. Um, Formula One is so bad that they've had to club together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What do you say? To, what do you say to that? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I just agree. Really, it's just Formula One is bad at the moment, and it's not helpful that ex drivers say that you know uh, current drivers shouldn't be saying that because how dare they criticise Formula One? But at the end of the day, if the show is really bad and nobody's watching, then the sport will eventually fold because it won't be able to afford itself. It will just swallow itself up in um, huge sporting track detail you know deals um to keep cvc happy that don't make any financial you know sense even for the tracks with um 
uh, sort of state backing and stuff, um, it will all go to pay TV to try and pay the bills, in which case nobody will be watching at home. Nobody will be going to the track because the track prices will go up. And the F1 drivers won't have a job. So yep. <laughs> ultimately... It's a pretty bleak picture you paint now. <laughs> but it's, it's ultimately <laughs> the worst case scenario that if um, if everything that continues to happen with Formula One, with you know taking away the free, free to air and, and all the other bits and pieces that all seem to be about generating revenue and not about, you know... It's like uh, shooting themselves in the foot almost. Right? Yeah. You're, you know, what is it? You know, the the golden goose story, isn't it? You're, um, you've got a golden goose that can lay you, a, you know, a golden egg every season, but then you, you cut it open to try and see if you can get all the golden, golden eggs out at once. And then the goose is dead and nobody gets any more golden eggs. Yep. Um, it's so different to, you know, the seasons we had with Red Bull winning where that was a problem, but you know, at least the racing was of a standard. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was annoying that Red Bull won so often and occasionally so easily, but it didn't feel like the sport was particularly bad. It was just that a team was doing particularly well. And then just the last few seasons, it just feels like the sport isn't very good. We, we've, undermined certain principles and uh, i you know i'm not going to try and work out what those are right now but something fundamental in formula one has been eroded um to the point where nobody is quite sure what we're doing anymore nobody is sure about what the the final i was going to say final solution that's probably not the best analogy is it um but nobody's sure about the destination that we're supposed to be arriving to um collectively as a sport um and then that's just left the whole thing rather rudderless and, and, and going in several directions at once or attempting to go in several directions at once uh, without really thinking of the consequences. Can't see it changing anytime soon until Bernie goes, well, to be honest. No. Um, or CVC is bought by somebody else who hopefully takes a, a more hands-off approach for putting their influence into the sport and they're happy to, you know, and, and maybe somebody who's happier to... Um, lower you know revenue levels um to make better deals for the tracks to actually attract fans and, and do all of those bits and pieces um because aren't really little decisions like that are you know killing the sport as well and potentially no monza um silverstone in trouble again um i don't i don't understand what all of these people in charge seem to expect from formula one fans that uh, they really will just watch anything <laughs> and I think they will get a very rude awakening, you know, one day when they realise that nobody is tuning in to watch their sport. It's Skype all this money to get Formula One rights. If they put on such a bad product that nobody's tuning in, Sky will just Sky will just boot it. You know, they 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 don't they don't need Formula One. They they, they like having Formula One because it's it's another but massive market for them but they like it if, because it's a premium sport isn't it? it's a premier sport it's like the premier league yeah and people are watching every single week because it has a massive fan base but if the people running the show are putting on such a bad product that people aren't watching then sky sky's loyalty will only last as long as the fans are turning up to watch if fans aren't turning up to watch and i don't mean at the track i mean literally tuning in on their television on a sunday afternoon and the revenue for advertising goes down and subscriptions go down and all that kind of thing. 
Sky won't be shy and saying, hey, we're paying you all this money, Formula One, and we're not getting a return on investment. See you later. And then what? Well, it was it was interesting because Channel 4 had their first live race with the Bahrain GP. Uh, and they got something like 3.2 million viewers. How did uh, that compare to BBC? Uh, I, well, I don't know because um, obviously you've got no direct comparison this season to, to last season um, in terms of numbers and all the other bits and pieces. But um, Sky had something like 600,000 viewers. That right, is it? Yeah. Um, now, obviously, the Channel 4 um, ratings are averaged out about people that they've asked whether they watched it or not. And Sky's is an exact number because they can tell who's tuned in or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, e- even expecting some kind of 500,000 people, you know, uh, amount of error, that's still like 2.7 million people tuning in to watch a free-to-air race than paying to watch the um, the Grand Prix on Sky. Um, and And ultimately, that should tell you enough about what how big a wall pay to watch television is and and i'm saying this as somebody who has who is paying sky money it's not it's not the full whack of sky sports but it is um you know i'm i am i have only bought i bought sky to watch f1 uh and that was that was the impetus behind doing it um so i'm somewhat behind the you know have have leapt the paywall but I completely understand why people won't. And it, it really is almost as if Sky think nobody is streaming this free. You know, there are no other avenues to get it. As soon as we put it behind the, the pay TV wall, everybody will suddenly rush to get behind it. And like <laughs> People won't. People will just... No. Yeah, there are other methods in 2016 if they don't want to. Uh, exactly. You know, really, unless Sky bring Formula One out as its own package, people really won't buy all of Sky Sports just to watch F1. If they have no interest in football or golf or anything like that. I mean, we were talking about this before, so that we shouldn't go into it too too much longer. But they just won't. You know, they will find other ways of doing it. And then at that point, Sky have lost the customers completely. They have no chance of um, convincing them to buy Sky once they've found that they can watch it reasonably well um, somewhere else for free. What's the solution? Kill them all and let God <laughs> sort it out. Uh, I, I, I genuinely at this point don't know. I, I'm considering writing some kind <laughs> of blog article on how to change Formula One governance for the better. Um, and I think I need a lot of time to consider. <laughs> yeah, I'd get to the first line and go, I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it needs fundamental changing, but the problem is, is that a lot of it is tied up in financial agreements and long-term contracts. Things can't change until 2020 with a Concord agreement with the teams. So a lot of that is, um, you know, quite difficult to... Uh, um... But hey, at least the on-track stuff, but so far this season, has been decent. Ironically, isn't it? Just as um, just as everything off-field is going t- tits up, we managed to get good racing. Well... And there are <laughs> that kick in the butt. <laughs> um, just give a, a few uh, few shout outs to people who've uh, tweeted in. Um, we had, uh, what was it? Uh, let me get the tweet up. Um, at 
F1 underscore fans underscore updates um, who wanted to say that their driver of the day for Bahrain was um, Roman Grosjean in the Haas. Um, and I think I'd probably agree with agree with that statement, would you, Sean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and Nico's obviously driven a, a, a perfect race, but he's not had to get out of second gear. Roman Grosjean has dragged that Haas again to a second consecutive top six finish. So, yeah, I have to give it to my boy, Roman. Uh, and uh, at underscore Carly Taylor underscore, um, since when have we ever done it in the afternoon? Well, I, I don't know about you, Sean, but I think that's a very private question. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You you heard it here first, folks. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much to for you guys for tweeting in. Um, thanks also to um, Tabitha Teddy for liking my uh, I'd rather prefer... Jacques shut uh, shut the f up first uh, tweet. It's good to know other people think the same as me. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think that pretty much takes us to the end of the show. Um, a bit of a long one this week, actually. Again, we've managed to do another hour and thirty. Lots um, to discuss. Lots to discuss. Yeah, lots, of, lots of worlds to put to rights. <laughs> and if you'd like to c- continue this discussion with us, um, you can get in touch with us in quite a few ways. Uh, find us on Twitter. Uh, at last lap podcast we love um, getting your tweets and responding to them and and talking to you uh, about what's going on in f1 so please um, anything that you think about uh, formula one or any of the podcasts or anything we've raised on the podcasts that's a really good way to get in touch with us uh, find us and like our page on facebook so just search for the last lap podcast on facebook and then you can like us uh, go to um, our website where we uh, host all of our episodes so you can get uh, all the episodes first um, which is www lastlappodcast.co.uk um, so yeah you, this will be the first place where you can find episodes and uh, we are uh, gently trying to get out more and more content onto the website so keep an eye out for um, posts from myself from Sean uh, and also from our uh, fellow um, uh, uh, fellow Last Lap Podcast member now uh, Scott Lamond uh, hopefully we'll be getting some uh, some articles through from all three of us soon so uh, keep your eyes peeled um, and with that Thank you very much for tuning in again. Uh, We will be back after the Chinese Grand Prix next week, uh, and we hope to see you then. Goodbye. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether you normally go bye-bye, and and then that's cue for me to go, oh, he said bye-bye, right, so bye. Like, he just sort of tailed it off there, and I wasn't (laughs) sure what was happening. Well, how about this then? (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.